Episode 45 of Honestly Unbalanced, and we're chatting to Adam Keane. Adam isn't afraid of a debate and going deep in the convo, which we massively, uh, massively appreciated and enjoyed. So let me tell you a little bit about Adam. He's been practicing Ashtanga Yoga since 1998 and teaching since 2004. He's one of the few practitioners to have completed the Advanced A third series in Mysore, India, under the guidance of Sharas Joyce. That's a nightmare from her lisp. He's taught and lived primarily in London with stints in Istanbul. Vancouver, Spain, Crete, India, as well as teaching lots of international workshops. He's committed to the facilitating of the actual individual's experience of yoga and his teaching is approached with a lightness of touch and an open mind. Outside of the sphere of yoga, Adam is a continuing student of philosophy, as well as having worked previously to teach as a vegetarian chef. He now runs and teaches on Keen on Yoga, which is an online workshop and classes platform he started with his wife to either. You can find all about him on Keen on Yoga. We'll put lots of that in the show notes. Uh, yeah, enjoy the conversation, guys. Before you do enjoy, please do drop us a little rating, share. We've had some amazing conversations on this podcast and we'd like everyone to hear them. So if you want to just be nice to us, please rate five stars, share, subscribe, do all of that stuff. Massively appreciated. And one final thing before we get going, Holly's new single has just come out, Luna. You can hear that in the background at the moment. Uh, yeah, you'll find that everywhere you might get your music from. And if you really like it, head to Bandcamp and you can actually buy it for download. Give it a listen. And finally, I'm going to let you enjoy the podcast. But one more thing, if you want to go on a retreat with us, check our website. Now you can enjoy. Honestly, I'm On that note, let's kind of begin with this question on podcasts. Like you, there's not that right. many yoga podcasts out there, and there's not that many kind of serious ones. As in, you know, with fairly serious guests who are very experienced. Maybe that's because a lot of the more serious people in the yoga world are adverse to podcasts or aren't, aren't used to aren't, yeah. aren't used to that. So I guess tell us you have about to your... coax. You have to coax them to do them. Yeah. Yeah. So there's how a is it... co- there's a lot of coaxing involved. Yeah. How has it been like getting your guests, and even like why did you start it in the first uh, yeah. place? Uh... I started it because Teresa, my wife and me, ran Purple Valley Yoga. Um, and Teresa, in fact, she converted it to Ashtanga Yoga from, it was just a retreat center before then. Um, and so we kind of, you know, over the period of a few years, we're in Goa running this center. And uh, we met, met all these Ashtanga teachers, right? And we had this kind of background with all these Ashtanga teachers. And then, you know, as an Ashtanga practitioner, you go to Mysore for years, right? And you go every year. And so we met all these people who kind of became well known. And, and you had these contacts, right? And then at a certain point, you know, in fact, I'll tell you what it was. <laughs> I'll tell you what I wanted to do. I wanted to do a philosophy podcast, but um, I wasn't allowed to do that um, by, <laughs> by my wife. Um, so she said, well, you know, you'll be a lot more successful because I was a philosophy student, right? Um, and a lot more successful if we use some of these contexts we've built up over the years. So that's what we do. Um, and it, but it turns out it's a lot harder to get them to talk than you think it is. 
What's your tactic? What do you bribe people with? No, I don't bribe them. I just keep going at them. I, you know, as, <laughs> after after a few weeks of not hearing from them, I email them again. Oh, you know, maybe uh, you know, have a look at that email. Uh, did you fancy, you know, thinking about it again? You know, sometimes they say straight straight away no, and then they'll come back a few weeks later and say, well, you know, hey, I've been thinking about it and I've heard. So it's getting it gets easier once you've done a few, and then they can listen to them and think, oh, that's not actually that bad, you know. And so, so you've been yeah. persistent. So persistence is key. And I guess persistence is key for an Ashtanga, isn't it? Is that where you've got it from? <laughs> is that you nice, seg- nice segue through there. <laughs> um, you know, um, persistence, I don't know. Well, Ashtanga, yes, it's persistence. Yeah, part persistence, part compulsion. Um, I think, it, you know, it strikes a certain personality, I think, who just um, has that kind of mindset, you know. Like once I find it hard to kind of take up something, but once the system is in place, I'll kind of go with it forever. Like the same <laughs> with Ashtanga. I, like, I didn't come to, you know, when I first came to it and I was, I was doing a Yenge yoga before that. And I came to an Ashtanga class. I think my girlfriend at the time, she was doing Ashtanga. She said, oh, come to, you've got to come to this class. I said, no way. I'm not going to, you know, I, like, I love a Yenge yoga. I don't want to do anything else. Too fast. And so I sat out all the vinyasas, you know, I just sat there adamantly between the sides and between the jump backs. And then I did the posture, you know, like lined it up with the blocks and the belts, you know, hated it. And I came back kind of, you know, I gave it some thought and I come back again. And then, you know, once I got my teeth into it, then it was a set system. And then I can kind of, I, I think I like those. I personally like the boundaries. I find it. I do. I understand it that people don't like the structure and the, and the routine, the boundaries, but I understand it, but I don't, really sympathize you know i mean i don't um, you know i don't empathize with it is is that yeah is there anything like pre-yoga in your did you always like to be like to have set boundaries like did you like structure has that always Uh, been you um question i yeah maybe maybe um i found a i I always found it hard going to the library like i always love to read but going to the library is kind of overwhelmed with all the books (laughs) given one book and told yeah, you know, it's just a personal trait, I suppose. But given one book and told to read it, right? Like I would go back and read that book again and again and again, right? Like so, you know, given a book of, so, well, that's, you need to read this for, you know, your philosophy study or whatever, or Shakespeare, right? Like I, you know, I decided I would read all the Shakespeare plays, <laughs> wow. and re- and then once I read them, I reread them and reread them again and again, you know. So, but but finding something new, I often feel like, you know, I'm making mistake. I mean, it's just silly personal stuff. I make a mistake, or I make, you know, is it the right thing I should be focusing my attention on, or maybe I should, you know, like um, I'm looking for books on Heidegger right now. For right? he's an existential philosopher, I'm kind of yeah. interested in. And wow. I can't find. I say, like I want to read the right one. There's so many out there. I just kind of get overwhelmed. So yeah, the system it kind of gives. It's good and a bad, right? Like I mean, on a more interesting level, maybe for the for the listeners, it, it kind of I think it gives you a, a, a framework, but it can easily allow you to entrap yourself in that framework as well. I think. Um, when I think when. What, when did you Sorry. when did your yoga journey begin? When did it start? How did you find it? Started too bloody young. Um, <laughs> Is that um, a thing? <laughs> didn't have enough fun before I started getting into yoga life. Um, <laughs> I think I started when I was twenty, and then it was a year or two of tossing up. You know, normal kind of going out with the mates and you know having a normal life and and, and getting up early and practicing ashtanga, and then. Yeah, by the time I was 20, you know, it took a year of that, 22, 23 hours fully immersed in daily Ashtanga practice. So. And it, it, isn't, it is to a degree an extreme practice, isn't it? Like if you presented anyone with a notion of you're going to maybe even leave your home at 4 a.m. to get to a studio 
for whenever like for most people that why why on earth would you do that why would you do that yeah like how how do people seem to find it like do you especially i guess younger people that have a life and like want to go clubbing or like how do they end up finding that practice and how does it work for them i think it's a struggle i mean it's you know and i think you have to make compromises and you have to decide what you want to what you want to focus on right so yeah, you often find people coming and they'll do it once or twice a week and then they'll, you know, then they'll maybe drop off or maybe they'll start to do a little bit more, you know. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I think you have to decide what you want to do, right? Is, Ash, um, is Ashtanga very, because I, I actually trained in Ashtanga, but right. I, I am not the personality type that would get on board with it, you know, forever. Um, it, is it very all or nothing? I don't think it has to be that way. I think it's presented that way. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. I'm really keen to like, kind of take down a lot of those unnecessary kind of myths to it i think you know there was a time when it, you know teachers would even say to you don't you know if you're not if you're not practicing you know with us five days a week then you're not really you know yeah. you're kind of almost not welcome kind of thing but it's ridiculous you know especially in this day and age when there's more and more choices yeah right? yeah um, i actually remember your thing i think adam a while back saying i never heard this acronym before uh the fear of missing out what is it fomo <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. Never heard of it. I mean, you, I think I saw it in a post of yours. And you know, so I think you know these days, you know, people have lives and they have other things to do. And I don't think that you know, it seems unfair to kind of say, well, you ought to be practicing every day. I mean, obviously, it becomes easier the more you do it, like anything else, right? But there's lots of styles of yoga, and it's just a question of what attracts you. I, you know, I really, I don't like this hardcore approach. You know, I think it was, a, it was at a certain time. It was, a, you know, I think there was a certain, because yoga is a cultural thing. It's kind of moved, right? Like mm. as it came out of India and it's kind of become, you know, when it first came out, it was very, we ought to be traditional and you ought to be quite hardcore with it. But I think it's moved with the times and I think it's sensible to adapt with it as well, you know? And we live in a very different world. I don't know when you started practicing, but I imagine whenever you started in where, where, where were you at the time? Were you in London or? No, I was in, uh, I was actually near where you're from, uh, Leamington. You- Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went to Warwick. So I was oh. the, the, the story is, the story is, you know, I, I did philosophy at Warwick and I was very, I was very unhappy, really. And I, you know, I did philosophy for the, for a naive reason of trying to find out, you know, how to make oneself happy in life, what the purpose was, all that, you know, the original stuff, right? And then <laughs> it didn't really work, you know. And then I went to, I told this on other podcasts, and, and I went to, um, well, at one point I went to the therapist, right? And they said, well, you and everyone else is in here from the philosophy uh, from the philosophy course. So I thought, well, you know, if no one's getting it, here, <laughs> then what, what is it that, what are we trying to do, you know? So that's when I started doing yoga and that was, yeah. But that, that is an issue kind of to go slightly in a different direction. With philosophy, I think learned at that level is you don't really learn a philosophy of life, do you? Like you would have learned in the Roman Forum. It's, it's... Would have, I think, you know, Socratic philosophy yeah. was obviously, you know, you know, how like in the gym, it was done in the gym, right, in the gymnasium, you know. So there was a strong physical training involved in, you know, in pre in pre Greek philosophy, and you know, most original philosophy was body training as well. You need a clear uh, instrument, um, and yet all these people sitting around were unhealthy, unhappy um, careerists, you know, mm. just doing essentially in the end very quickly, you, you know, f- philosophy professors doing it for not for the reasons of you know knowing but for work right yeah mm. and I, I guess like for like for me like reading anything like like Kierkegaard Kant it's just so depressing like it doesn't where I think that they just like the Stoics and alike really had something going on uh it can be a bit dry um is it depressing um well yes I mean 
look at the truth of yoga that you know there, there is no reality that you know i mean i think it's in the bhagavad gita you know um in the unreal nothing exists and in the real nothing exists right <laughs> that's the you know, that i think yeah um, probably put my my finger on the, on the passage right so yeah if you take that without a system of understanding it yeah it's bloody depressing but if, if you come right there is nothing that there is only space right this idea right what's the point <laughs> right well, you know if you don't have a system to understand it you know in terms of a bod i think oftentimes you know a bodily discipline to understand it within it, it's like it could be very depressing it could be very liberating mm. depending on you know and so beforehand when i came to the kind of it's an, a kind of rather nihilistic view you know a kind of nietzschean idea of you know there is no real reason there's no meaning we've killed god then you know it's up to you to create your own understanding it's very depressing um and then after training in yoga there's actually the same kind of information isn't depressing it's quite liberating didn't didn't camus have a famous passage about actually the fact there is nothing and no meaning was is liberating is it's, 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 he said something something along those lines well, i know you're a, a fan of camus i mean i do like a bit of camus yeah um, i'm in france right now so actually read i tried to read l'étranger in french which, oh wow uh, yeah we was achieved but probably not um half it probably was not, not quite <laughs> i guess my initial question before we went on that path was in yeah. warwick at the time or leamington there probably yeah. weren't that many yoga teachers and so you had a choice. Exactly. You had a choice of Yengar, Asanga, and if you went down the Asanga route, it was Mysore, I'm guessing. And so, whereas nowadays, as you say, there is so much choice, there is so much distraction, yeah. there are countless yoga teachers offering very different methods, all of which can be wonderful. You know, a wonderful rocket teacher can be as wise as a wonderful Asanga teacher if they have experience, etc. And I guess we have so much on offer, and it would be kind of silly to not mix it up a little bit, wouldn't it? And actually look into different things <laughs> now now the boots on the other foot from our podcast um, <laughs> um well i think it's just a question of what suits you you know mm. whatever you know well i think the bottom line isn't you know to avoid evade the question is whatever inspires you to practice you know that's great yeah. i mean my i mean i think what i am adamant about is that ultimately practice has to shift at least maybe like say 70 percent to be to be, um, yeah, let's say, um, um, understanding of people's propensity to like lead classes and guided classes. 70%, I, I probably think, will be beneficial to be done on one's own if we're calling it yoga, mm. which is something in terms of internal focus and, you know, trying to come to some personal understanding. Otherwise, it's, you know, I, yeah, I, I mean, I pluck the number out of the air, but as long as it inspires you to get on the mat and then latterly inspires you to do a bit of your own practice, whatever that is, I think, you know, keep, keep doing that. So you're onto something, you know? Um, but actually, I mean, going back to that point, it wasn't the case with the, uh, it was, when we, when we first learned Ashtanga, it was offered leg classes. It mm. wasn't, you had to find some place to do a Mysore, you know, my really? teacher. Yeah. It was a, a guy called Mark Freeth, who I'm ever be indebted to like your first teacher, you know, and he was just doing lead. And then he started doing a Mysore. It wasn't very popular at all, actually. But I remember going to the Mysore room and he was playing, it was early in the morning. And I thought I was kind of angry because, you know, people tell you, you know, Nashtanga at a certain point, oh, you should go to the Mysore. And go and it's early in the morning. Like, I, you know, that just sounds ridiculous to me to wake up first thing, you know, and put yourself through this. You know, I really, really was resistant to it. And I walked in the room and he was playing this like, it was like that Tibetan chanting, which is oh, it's just like a kind of one long continuous kind of um, votive, you know. And uh, 
it was completely dark. There were no lights on. And there were just a few people doing this. And at the time, it was very heavy breathing. That was because, you know, style changes, right? Ashtanga was, you know, early on was very, they said Ujjayi. Now it's free breathing with the sound. The breathing isn't quite, meant, is meant to be quite light now, as before it was very heavy. So people were breathing very, very heavily. And it was just completely freaked out, you know, <laughs> completely freaked out by it. But by the end of it, I thought, damn, I felt, I felt kind of, I'm hooked and, and now everything's changed. And I felt good and I felt bad about it because I kind of thought there's lots of elements of the life I liked before that was kind of easy and quite alluring. But now I kind of thought, this is it. Now I'm done. It's like finding finding God in a way. You kind of think, mm. well, I kind of liked that old life in lots of ways. But now I've gone to this. Yeah, I was. What did really... it, did you notice it change anything about you? Um. I felt as soon, I mean, I hate, you know, I'm going to say exactly the same thing as everyone says on these podcasts about yoga. You know, I came out of the class and it was particularly the lead classes he was doing. And I didn't go to a Mysore class for a long time, a self-practice class for people that don't know what Mysore style is. It's self-practice as in, as it was taught in Mysore India. Um, and Mark, my teacher at the time was teaching these lead classes and I didn't go to the Mysore class for a long time. But as soon as I came out of the Mysore class, I felt the self-practice, I felt very different than when I'd done the lead. And I loved his lead classes and I would go at least two or three times a week and I would try and practice along at home. But it was only when I went to the Mysore style class that I thought, wow, this is something different. And, and yeah, I felt all day, I felt very, very peaceful, um, very, very calm. And I got into it from suffering from, uh, you know, quite, quite bad anxiety at university, really. Um, especially as a bloke at the time now, you know, it was like, there's lots of things change right now. We can all say, oh, you know, we can all suffer from anxiety now. Even guys can suffer from anxiety. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, you know, at the time, you know, it wasn't, you know, no one was mentioned. No one, you know, it was, you know, things have changed a lot, right? No one was talking about this stuff, you know? And, and certainly as a guy, like I wasn't brought up to show any fear, you know? I'm from mm. Essex, right? Mm. Um, and, you know, that's not the kind of way that you make mates in Essex. <laughs> <laughs> admitting that you're, <laughs> admitting that you're, not, you're nervous, a nervous bloke, right? You know? So, yeah, so I got into it for that reason. And, and as soon as I came out in the Mysore, you know, I really felt like, wow, you know, for the first time in a long time, mm. I feel very calm and relaxed. And, yeah. and, you know, that's very, you know, incredible feeling for someone who does suffer with anxiety. And was it that, do you think, that led you to teach yoga? No, I was just rubbish at doing anything else. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't my choice. I, I wanted to practice and the Ashtanga thing, when you're, when you're practicing Ashtanga, you often fall into teaching because it is such a lifestyle and it doesn't allow you to do a lot of other things, you mm -hmm. know, like, I mean, I, I always say to students that are coming and doing the early morning Mysore, like you've got a life, you know, if you don't want to teach, like take it easy, you need your energy, you know, don't, don't kill yourself, you know, like it's not for you to practice in this manner, you know, we practiced in that, this manner in Mysore, in Mysore as well, when we were, just in Mysore, like some people obviously were making more of the time, but you know, after practicing in Mysore in the day, I would go and we would go by the pool and just, you know, like we'd be so done in, right? Like mm. it's such a vigorous practice to do every day. If you've got a job, you have to moderate it. You have to be sensible. But if you really want to take it to its zenith, you know, as a teacher, as, as a practitioner, you have to be a teacher because you're getting up early, you're practicing so hard, you know, um, you're going to bed early, you know, like it, it lends itself to teaching because really that's the whole of your lifestyle that's been carved out but for me i was a cook <clears throat> and um i you know I, I quit philosophy 
I started work as a chef, well, as a cook first of all, and latterly maybe maybe became a chef. And uh, and the you know I was doing Ashtanga and, and trying to do that, and the late nights for the chefing and the Ashtanga early mornings, and you know something uh-huh. had to give. So <laughs> I ended up teaching. You know? On a technical question, when you teach a Mysore class or facilitate a Mysore session, when yeah. do you then practice? Before it? I, yeah, always before. Yeah. Oh, so what ta- oh, what does that gosh. look like time wise? Yeah, not good. Doesn't look good. <laughs> No, I've done it since I was 20 and I've always practiced early morning since I was probably 25 and I started teaching again, you know, in the early days, there weren't TTs, you know, you assisted your teacher, you know, the, the, my first teacher, Mark, you know, he said to a few of us after a year or two that we've been practicing this, there was hardly any yoga around, right? So it was like, you know, come and assist me and then you can start your classes. There's too many students for me to teach. So he got a few of us together and, um, you know, in fact, after a month, he said, actually, you, um, Adam, you should you should take some more time practicing and you can come back another year. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, but, um, you know, that's actually the perfect teacher training, I think. Yeah, well, we just assisted. I, you know, yeah. latterly I assisted my teachers and that's how we learned. And, you know, and then we started teaching and there was was there any insurance? Maybe. No, I don't think there was any insurance even then. Or maybe you could get accredited just by your teacher's, you know, say or something. I don't know how it works, but we, there was nothing around like that insurance and all this stuff. You just taught. I, I you know, I started teaching a few friends because they asked, you know, it was mm. just like that. You know, we never expected really to make money off it, right? Like it wasn't like you go out to it for a career. Like, you know, I never expected to make money. And then I, I was cooking and that was how I was paying for the training and how I was paying to go places and learn and then, you know, like at a certain point, I started making money. I just thought, what the hell, you know? And then as soon as, you know, the money was enough, then I thought, well, you know, it's a lot easier than chefing, you know, like, you know, eight hours a day in the kitchen, you know, like, I'm, mm. I'm you know, I'm going for the yoga. <laughs> Do you... what, was the, what was the question? The, the apprenticeship of yoga or what was it? No, no, no. The, the question with I just think that is actually a really wonderful way to learn, and I think far better to spend time with a teacher, both practicing, watching, observing, assisting, than to just have a three-week intensive. Let's say, I think that's the ideal way I, to become it, a teacher. It's insane. I yeah. I mean, I already feel like a dinosaur, and it's only you know twenty <laughs> years on. You know, like I can't understand it. I mean, obviously, like you might learn some stuff, and like we never learned anything about. We didn't know anything about anatomy, right? Like nothing like that. You know, that was wasn't. You know, you learn on the job. I think people ask me, and they've often, you know, I mean, you would have had it, Adam, as well. People ask, you know, can I do a teacher training with you or something? And you say, well, have you practiced where you practice? Well, I haven't practiced yet. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd, like, I'd like to be a teacher. You know, this, you know, I've had a number of those inquiries. And you say, well, for, great, you know, like, it's great you want to teach. You know, it's a, you know, it's a noble, a noble desire, right, to, to help, to wish to help, right? That's, you know, that's great. But first of all, learn to practice, you know, and, and have some discipline to practice and learn what the practice feels from the inside out and how that feels and make some mistakes. Maybe, you know, maybe even have a little injury or something that will teach you a lesson or some humility or how not to push yourself or, you know, you have to go through this journey, mm. right? And it, it doesn't, doesn't happen overnight. So I, I've always said that I think actually to be a really competent teacher, it's not important that you can necessarily do advanced poses. Like I know teachers that are in their 60s but began yoga in their late 40s who are really wonderful teachers that that know so much and I think the most one of the most important things is that as you say you've had a long-term yoga practice and observed how the yoga practice affects your body your breath your mind and everything else and I just wondered I I don't know like in the in in the Ashtanga tradition do you have to be able to do certain 
composes or completes certain series to be able to teach it? And what kind of modifications are there for, I guess, different body types? I've just, I've, n- I've never been exposed to yeah, traditional yeah. Ashtanga. Well, yes, there's an authorization, a certification process from Mysore. Then that's the, the short of the, the short answer is that you can be authorized or you can be certified. Now, if you're cert, and this is, but then there's many people that teach Ashtanga that haven't been to Mysore and don't have this particular let's say qualification, although you don't really jump through any hoops, you just go to practice in Mysore with originally Batabi Joyce or latterly Sharat um, Joyce, right? His grandson. And um, you go through these sequences and he gives you the postures. You're looking confused, Adam. No, no, that's just my default face. Huh? My default face is is perplexed slash angry. you learn it like that. So you're going to go through just um, as far as you can get. So if you, you know, if you can complete the advanced series, then you have to go more and more times. And by a certain number of times, when you've seen you do it enough times, at that point, you get the certification. Or if you could be authorized level one or two, authorized level one means you've completed the primary series of postures and been on a few trips for him to see you do that. Or authorized level two, which I am, is that you've completed the intermediate series of postures and been on a number of times for him to see you to do that. Um, but I, I mean, I complete, for example, I mean, it's a, a nuance for Ashtanga people, really, but I completed the advanced series of postures with him, but I didn't make the pre- prerequisite many trips in order to get the certification for the, the but to teach the advanced. So theoretically, I'm only meant to teach intermediate. So you've, you, you complete the physical advanced series and that's done. So what about the mental aspect? Are you supposed to kind of reach some kind of mental goal? Right. Well, there, yeah, there is no other training apart from that. So it was always a bit of a kind of moot point as to what Ashtanga yoga was, because it's not in the Patanjalian idea that, you know, it's, it's the eight limbs, really Ashtanga yoga, which was Ashtanga Vinyasa originally is yeah. just like, you know, it's the physical asana. That's all that, you know, that's all. And the idea is that you come and you're under supervision and, you know, there's some kind of steadiness and practice is perceived. And there, then you get granted the, you know, the authorization or the certification but i don't know i mean you know it's it's no no process is perfect but i mean now there's so many people going through my store that i'm uncertain whether really one can see the steadiness of practitioners there's too many people to observe and you don't really know you know um yeah Uh, and i guess a, a, a smaller detail on the question was if because of someone's body type or injuries or genetics they can't necessarily do a certain pose. Are there like variations of the pose that that person might take that mm. might still allow them to, if they couldn't yet say do what's an what's a quite advanced pose in the primary series? Is Kapatasana in there for Kapatasana? No, it's not. But no. that would be yeah, that's pretty, yeah, that's <laughs> in the second series. No, the primary series. Um, what postures would you know? Um, Kamasana. Okay. Mary, yeah, Marichasana D. And so, yeah. if someone couldn't do that, they've got very short limbs. Can they still like me? Covered. Yeah, that's 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 curtains for you. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like musical chairs, you know. I always thought you know, <laughs> we used to have this lead class on a Sunday, and it was lead intermediate class. And I always felt, and once, and at a certain point, you got kind of struck off, right? If you couldn't do the posture, you know, there's a number of us. In the early days, there was only a few of us that were able to do this class, and I used to be 
petrified going down there on a Sunday morning in Mysore to do this class, you know, then you, at a certain point, if you perceive there was like 10 of us standing, you know, lined up in front of him, Sharat, and he was sitting on the stage and he'd count the class, the vinyasas, and you'll do the postures according to the sequence you knew, you know, and he was counting. And at a certain point, you know, if you weren't perceived to have done the posture well enough, you will sit, you know, like you get to the back, you're done, you know, and then you have to kind of do your closing sequence. That's you out, you know, so it was that's kind of, so kind of musical chairs. It's brutal, brutal. isn't it? Brutal. It's not the way I teach. And, and I'm really, you know, I'm not a traditional teacher. And a lot of Ashtanga kind of traditional teachers will probably. Um, mm. Yeah. So, um, what, you know, so what does that mean? As a heretic, because I don't, you know, if, if originally, if you land in the primary series class in Mysore and you can't um, do a half lotus, all right, so Ardabada Padma Paschimottanasana, right? So you're putting your right leg on your left thigh, for example. Yeah. And you're taking your left leg and you're going forward. So it's a half lotus forward fold, right? If you can't do that, then that's more or less done for you. You know, like you're, you stop there every day, right? Until yeah. you can do that. It is unhelpful because one, it, it encourages people to push, mm. you know, so, until they can do that, right? Like, so traditionally in Mysore, if you can't stand up from a backbend, then you can't do any second series, right? So henceforth, people pushing and pushing to get up from a backbend and doing themselves a lot of injuries just to simply get up from the backbend because they're frustrated, mm. right? Rather than just maybe do some extra work and don't try so hard and let it have its time. And, you know, I don't stop people. If they can't do the half lotus, let's let's modify it and carry on. But traditionally, no, that wasn't the perspective taken. Like, you do it until you can do it. But as I wrote in a post today, you know, like, lotus doesn't give you the work to do lotus. You know, like, lotus doesn't open the hips. Mm. Like, you open the hips and then you can do lotus, right? Yeah. Like, so there's many postures in the series later on, you know, in a very, you know, it's, it's not... It's not rocket science that really help opening the hips for for the early lotus. The the, the the sequence was construed, and it's no, you know, it's no secret now. The sequence of Ashtanga was construed with young Brahmin Indian boys in mind. Mm, no, yeah. that's you know, everyone knows that now. You yeah. know, um, and even if it wasn't, you know, it was it was a different time in a different place. We don't have that kind of lotus work going on. You know, I used to see the rickshaw drivers in India like. I was to compare them to like a general cabbie in London, right? Mm. And these, <laughs> these rickshaw drivers are sitting there in full lotus when they're just chatting to their mates, you know, like waiting for the ne next ride. They've whipped out the full lotus. They're sitting there, you know. And it's like, you know, we don't have that, you know. We don't have that. So we have to work at that. Otherwise, you just end up hurting your knee and that will set you back years. Mm. So how put you off going all together. Worst how thing. How have, you, how have you changed your method then? Uh, like, how do you teach Ashtanga? It's just common. I honestly feel it's just common sense. And I think it would have been, and originally, let's say, I, I mean, I've interviewed a lot of the old timers, a lot of the old teachers for Ashtang, and the thing changed due to logistics, you know, due to numbers going through. So it was like, well, in the early days, I think if you couldn't do Lotus, then Batabi Joyce would have sat with the few students in the room that came to him in the 70s, right? And okay, you can't do that one. Let's see if you can do this one a bit more like that, I think, you know? Mm. Um, you know, supported them a lot more. But latterly, when too many people came through, it was like, well, you know, there's a Patabi Joyce and, you know, and Sharat in the room and they're looking at 70 Westerners say, then, well, it's, what do you do? If someone mm -hmm. can't do something, then, you know, you just have to say, well, we can't give you a modification. There's no time. There's no understanding of what the body, it's just like, well, let's just stop you there and wait until you can do it, you know? So I think it, a lot of it was logistics. I don't blame it on the, the teaching of it or the idea of the system. I think a lot of it became... How can we spread this system in, you know, as best we can? Um, but yes, I modify, you know, I modify the postures for people's, you know, I was teaching the city of London in the, until lockdown. I've been teaching there for 10 years and I'm teaching a lot of bankers, a lot of guys in the city. 
they can't do lotus they can't even sit cross-legged so what am i going to do stop mm. them after 20 minutes of practice <laughs> you know you should you know you modify it they make the first first idea of asana stinam sukham asanam yoga is a steady comfortable position mm. you know? that, that has to be borne in mind make it so they feel good about it and then they're going to come again and keep practicing because we're looking for something other than the asana right like mm. ultimately you know I did all those asanas. I did every asana. Like I started when I was 20. I came from a martial arts background. You know, I could bend my body into any position, you know, like, and then let me tell you, it changes as you get older, right? It's like, fuck, the leg isn't going there anymore. You know, like, so, I mean, my sore, and you know, Shrat would say, well, now do this position. And it was one that, you know, you go, you're going into like a, 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 a scorpion and you're on your stomach and your legs are going over your head and you put the legs on the floor and then you put the arms around the legs. You seen that one? Yeah. And, and he asked me to do it and I just, I just put my leg and I, you just like straight in, you know, mm. I can, I can, you know, and it doesn't make it, it doesn't make you any wiser. In fact, it, you know, in fact, it makes you stupider in a way because that expertise blinds you. I was going to say this earlier, it blinds you from, from reality and from the reality of other people mm. as a teacher anyway, mm. that can't, that don't, I mean, no, like I can't do that stuff anymore. You know, you get older and, and, it, and it has to be said, and it's good to, you know, it's good to say this to people like, you know, this is stuff that you can do when you're young and it changes and time changes you and, you know, you have to bear that in mind. Have you come across a lot of competition in your journey? And have you, have you personally? In my thought, in my thought it was huge. In my thought, you know, unfortunately that led intermediate class was people, it was, you know, people, we used to have a whole spectatorship from, from the door. People <laughs> would come and watch it. Many, okay. many people. And they would comment, oh, you did that well today. Mm. Well, you know, oh, really? It's kind of, that's kind of like the... Really op- it was a, that was why I was nervous, because it was a complete spectator sport. Um, and, uh, and, in, and within us as well, the peers, you know, people would say, oh, you've got... Because you were given more postures, right? So it was very pushy, you know? And I became almost... I mean, I hate to say it, but for my temperament, I felt like I, it, it didn't help. I felt like... I kind of, in a way, I took a step back with the yoga, uh, getting too down the rabbit hole of the Mysore, because when you go, then you've got all these peers, you know, you're not perhaps, you know, as all of us, you have a sense of ego, you have a sense of insecurity, and so you start competing with your peers, and then, you you know, you get a, you know, I could do those things, so you get a lot of accolade, and it's like, wow, wow, you know, and then, you know, and then the teacher's giving you more postures and you're getting more postures and other people aren't. And it's very weird. Yeah. Cause he, you know, you know, in my soul that you're not, you don't do the postures before, before you were given the posture. Right. So, you know, you might go for a month or a year and you might not get another posture until you're deemed good enough. And Shirat will say to you, okay, next one. Now you do. And, and you have to know it. You have to know, you don't get told it. You don't get coached into it. I'm not, I'm not giving a, a very, um, <laughs> So, <laughs> I'm, not saying, I'm not saying my story, well, but I don't teach like that anymore. Um, and uh, yeah, and I think you have to make it. I don't think that they, I think that's what you do in Mysore. And I think that the sensible teacher learns that what you do in Mysore isn't the way you teach when you come back from Mysore because mm. you're teaching real people who have lives and who don't necessarily want to dedicate mm. the whole day every day towards, you know, learning and, and performing yoga asanas. So you're teaching now. Well, before lockdown, within the context was, did you teach Mysore style sessions, but also kind of hybrid led Ashtanga classes to fit an audience that was in front of you? Yeah. No, it's never, I don't want to say it's like hybrid because it wasn't, I'm still, I'm still would say I'm traditional, but I think you can be traditional, not literal, right? Okay. So well, I like that. I Ex- expand subtle, that. I think there's a subtle difference because if you're, I can say we, this is the system and this is, and Ashtanga, 
really it's a system based around the counting method, right? So you have a number of counts in a posture and this idea of counting you in and out of the posture, right? So there's a number of vinyasas, a number of movements to the whole counted shape of a posture, right? Um, and you have to research it for anyone that's listening to understand it more if you don't do it, but you know, every posture has its number of counts to do in and out of the posture, back to samastitthi. So that's the, the crux of the method. But if you can't do the exact posture, then know the count. And if you don't know the count, then modify the count, but know the count, you know, like, so if you can't do the count, that's also fine. If you can't do the posture, that's also fine, but know what you can't do and know what your modification is. And so, you know, I'll teach the class as is. And then I say, well, if you can't do that, then do this for now. But that's, you know, it's like a blueprint, you know, mm. the blueprint, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to do it exactly, you know? Mm. Right. Suffering. <laughs> There's been a lot of suffering so far. Uh, in a sense, like, they, yeah, not from us, not from the conversation, but in like in terms of the getting up early, the hard poses, the holding right. poses, the competition. I think suffering is, in a sense, good. And Holly and I have had this conversation recently. Of course, the world is full of suffering. You know, bodies, everything is suffering, and all of us will encounter. Everything is unsatisfactory. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not. You know, it's, it's, in, it's like a bad axle hole, right? It's not. You know, <laughs> yeah. Not. Yeah, well, that's that's the truth. Yeah. You know, Dukkha is. You know, I think it's easy to kind of say, well, it's abject suffering, and you know, life is just in, insatisfactory, and it, all those postures, the the advanced postures, were also found insatisfactory, right? So, tick, tick. And, and the suffering to get into them was also insatisfactory. So, yes. But <laughs> let's talk about to finish. It was what I was going to say there was there is suffering in life, and. There is a one kind of suffering we have to go through. I, you know, if someone dies in the family, COVID, our income stream dies off. There is suffering that we can't escape that we have to deal with. And yoga is a really wonderful vehicle to help us prepare for that suffering, in a sense. There is something very unique about suffering that we choose, i.e. to get, mm. up, to get up at four o'clock in the morning or, or to run an ultra marathon. And there's a, there's a famous athlete slash... It's uh, army hardcore guy called David Goggins. Yeah, uh, know, yeah, yeah, kind of Goggins, who, yeah. who who is all about. He's suffering. just a masochist. You know? Yeah, um, he, he, he's <laughs> going to he, war with his body. Yeah, yeah, that's too much. I, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, the, again, I mean, I tell you what, if anyone's listening and they want to read the Bhagavad Gita, read the Stanley Lombardo translation of the Bhagavad Gita, because before that, the Bhagavad Gita seemed a musty old kind of inappropriate and I, I couldn't penetrate the book and now i read this this particular translation of stanley lombardo has really clarified it so i go back to the bhagavad gita and, and christian says in there don't berate them you know that if you're if you're causing pain and suffering to your own body you're causing pain and suffering to me in the body so he's mm -hmm. not looking for asceticism right but on the other hand yes there's this idea of tapas as well mm. you know he says you know the yogi is one that he also says the yogi is one that doesn't eat too much, that doesn't eat too little, that doesn't sleep too much, nor too little. Right. So it's 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 moderate. But then, you know, it's, he's also, you know, kind of saying, well, you know, you ought to do something. It's very it's also very, you know, there's there's a lot of, um, you know, he's not just saying, I'll go and, you know, do what you want. Get up and have a cappuccino and croissant and put on Netflix. You know, he's, you know, it's it's a, it's a moderation and moderation is hard to come by. You know, mm. I think it's easy to to beat yourself up and, and, and suffer. But and it's easy to do nothing. But the middle path—that's something else. But uh, to come back to your question on the suffering, yeah, I mean maybe you get in putting yourself in in uncomfortable positions. You do get used to moderating or, or, or used to how to cope with it. Maybe better. Mm. 
it's it's a kind of I think it's like a laboratory like you're you're getting a dry run without it just surprising you do you know what I mean like you're doing it on the yeah. mat in a kind of lab conditions and you think well <laughs> at this time you know like I'm in this I always think that the, the Ashtanga system is like a protective mandala and so whatever you're feeling you're in this system or you know the prof, the primary series or whatever series postures you know all the postures so within that a lot of fears and a lot of worries come up but you're kind of in the protective covering of of this system in a way you know like you're, you're so, in a little microcosm of life, aren't you, on the four corners you of get your mat? Dry run at it without having suddenly, you know, just like being overwhelmed by the, you know, a, a kind of surprise occurrence. You know, you get in putting yourself in positions of suffering, but within the kind of control, you become accustomed to it a little bit. I don't know. But that is something um, I, I do admire about the Ashtangis that I know is that they do seem very in control of their lives and their thoughts and their way of being. And I think that's perhaps because they have chosen to have suffering in the context of getting up early or not, let's say not suffering inconvenience and put themselves through that inconvenience daily. So more than maybe other styles of yoga, they seem to be slightly more master of their emotions and of their feelings more than right. other yogis. I don't, you experience mm-hmm. that, I, don't know. I don't know enough in Ashtangis to say whether that's true or not, <laughs> but I, I don't know. I don't know if I agree with no, that. I, I, I'd like to, you know, Adam, I'd like to say it was true, but I think it's just that generally they're, you know, generally control freaks. Yeah, yeah that's, <laughs> that's, that's what I was thinking. They're attracted to that because they want, you know, they're that kind of person. Like, you know, I say got into it for the same reason. I felt out of control in life. I didn't come from a, background that i felt very stable or secure in and i wanted control yeah Mm. and at a certain point i think the thing is you have to have a stable ego before you start breaking it down Mm. and this is the the problem with a lot of people are getting to spirituality is they you know they they go too far too quickly without doing the groundwork so first of all you need stability so you know and the control is great you know and you feel more stable in life and you know know, i came from i mean honestly i you know i used to go to the library for eight hours a day and study but but you know I was living on a diet of cigarettes and Guinness, you know, mm-hmm. like, I mean, I was out of control really, you know, it was a great, you know, it was great while I did it. Right. Like, you know, yeah. like I had a, but um, you know, you can't do that forever. And I felt out of control. And um, so first of all, you want stability in your life and, you know, um, in a most basic level, you want a basic routine that feels, you know, that you eat reasonably, you get to bed at a reasonable time, you know, you don't find yourself in different beds and different nights. Right. Like, you know, like, you know, like you're sensible and you have a reasonable routine. Right. Like, and uh, you know, and th- that you need. But then at a certain point, I think that that becomes, and it did for me as well, uh, a kind of you're hoisted by your own petard, let's say, to use an English <laughs> expression. So you're over-controlled. Everything mm. becomes a little bit over-rigid yeah. there. So you start to have to get up you know, at a certain time and therefore you have to go to bed rigidly at a certain time. And if someone invites you for dinner, it's like, well, I can't do that because I got to go to bed in order to get up at four in the morning and mm. I can't eat after two o'clock at night or I'll become a gremlin or, you know, <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it becomes very rigid. And I think at a certain point, having used the, the stability then you have to be able to let go into towards some kind of ability to, to let go, you know. Do you um, feel that you found your balance now? More so. I, I think that life is a process of trying to find balance and I don't believe that any of us do in a human form, you know. Yeah. Let's say the gunas play with the gunas. You're always under the, the auspices of rajas and tamas once you're in the human body and it has yeah. its karmas. You know, and we're talking of, we can talk about it as genetic makeup or, you know, conditioning or karma, you know, however we want to, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff in the body and you're under the thrall of it. And I'm, you know, I'm very, 
anyone who says otherwise or who claims otherwise, I simply don't believe. <laughs> I think you're in the body and you're and everyone, whoever they are, and some people I respect more than others in terms of having found something, but I still say they're still under the karmas of the body and they're still under rajas and tamas desire and, and um, you know, or wish to forget. Let's say the wish to achieve and accumulate and the wish to forget i think that we, we we constantly vacillate between the two so it's a work in progress i'm more balanced than i was but no i'm not balanced no and what is what is wealth for you kind of a short question wealth, wealth yeah <clears throat> uh, wealth. um i suppose let's let's go back to your question on suffering um and ultimately the only way you can understand suffering is if you're non-attached to circumstances um and they don't sway you anymore, right? So you find something in yourself that can't be taken away. Mm. Um, and that's wealth, right? It's finding something you can't, that, that, that no longer. I always felt before yoga, life was absolutely perilous, right? Like anything could happen. I felt like often, you know, without a couple of drinks inside me, I felt petrified, like anything could happen at any moment. I saw different, you know, as well, as, you know, I lost people and I had a lot of uh, bad circumstances. And I, I started to think, you know, like we're absolutely, you know, we're all, we're like a sinking boat and we don't know when, you know, it's our turn, right? So you have to have find something in you that, that, that can't be taken away. And when you find that, then that you're finally free of being attached to circumstances in life. And then, and then you don't suffer because really suffering is trying to keep things the same, right? Or, or predict and guarantee worldly circumstances that we can't do that. And that's suffering, right? That's, that's a really we've not had that answer before have we that's a really nice way of saying it and i think what you've just described it's hard to actually know when you have that because holly holly and i have had this discussion where we found ourselves through stressful times not getting as stressed as we might or not getting mm. as caught up in the emotions and but vice versa having periods that were very ecstatic but not actually getting that ecstatic and caught up to it and we had conversations in reflection of that and kind of realized, is, is this the effect of yoga? Mm. The, the fact we're not getting drawn to the extremes and there is something perhaps in us that Anchoring is keeping us more stable and yeah. keeping us anchored. Yeah, maybe. Um, it certainly is a practice that can give you stability and give you some... <laughs> I suppose what are you looking for? It takes you into look. Yoga is meant there for it's meant for a transcendental outlook in the end, and people don't want that. They want to think that now you know we're meant to be looking at making yoga in the most practical terms as something that will make us materially more comfortable, more anchored. But yoga is about you know a full resolution of our un, our understanding of ourselves outside of life. You know that, that something that you know that you know the, the idea that we don't die, right? The idea that we're, there's whole there's something in us that that can't be that can't be altered whatever happens you know mm. so until we found that we're still kind of guessing um so you know i, I think it's important to, to recognize that traditional teachings of yoga they're pretty transcendental really if you read patanjali if you read the bhagavad gita you know they're not for material comfort oh, they're for finding something in an experiential sense that, that that makes you understand that you know you are you don't born, you're not born you don't die you know, there's something mm. you're sharing in some substratum of being whatever you call that 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 you know just is 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 holding you you know but um for the individual you know abiding as the individual you're always going to be worried because yeah your your individual is is certainly on that sinking ship um coming back to the point i was going to say on the 
Yeah, I, I wanted to say, I think you can easily get, also you can easily use yoga for the auspices of control, for kind of doing a system that will numb you out. Um, and I also felt, for example, you should, you should, life is also suffering. And I think that it's also worth acknowledging that things do hurt. And we're not, it's not that we ought not to have any reaction to these things because yeah. that's bullshit. You know, you ought to feel and you ought to feel strongly. And I think at a certain point, especially with Ashtanga, what I found is that you're, honestly, you, the, the postures are so rigorous once you get in the advanced series that I feel that they do something energetically that can easily make you feel quite numb. And you're doing a system which is so controlled, you can feel quite numb mm. and, and, and you shouldn't. And I feel a lot more balanced now in having honest reactions than I did 10 years ago, for example, when, or if, even seven years ago, when my wife, uh, she was diagnosed with, with cancer. And uh, you know, honestly, I couldn't react to it properly and I couldn't feel it properly. And I think people would have said, oh, I'm dealing with it so well, right? That must be the yoga. But I, I, don't, I think I used yoga to completely deny it mm. and I didn't feel anything at all. And I think that, I think that's a myth. And I think I remember someone, I did the, I did the obituary for BKC Yenga for the Times, right? Um, and so I researched a lot on BKC Yenga and people said to him at his wife's funeral, you know, like, you're a great yogi, you're crying, you know? Why are you crying still? And he said, look, you know, like, I should be crying. That's my wife. I loved her, you know? Mm. So I think it's worth knowing that, you know, you should really also, it doesn't mean you have to, the extra level of suffering that, that we can make with our minds, that's something. But but, but suffering it can be beautiful as well. Mm. It's not all, you know, there's a certain mental suffering, which is an extra layer, which is, you know, unnecessary. But there's a certain suffering, a poignancy, a poignancy of life, which is there to be, which can be very, very significant. I'm so glad you made that point. I think that's that's such a lovely thing to to say because it's not about being calm and grounded all the time. Ah. And you're right; it's it's so nice and it's such a gift to be able to cry and feel so deeply. And yeah, yeah, I'm really glad that you made mm. that point. That resonated with me. Yeah, hmm. it's that point of I guess the as you say the indulging it excessively, yeah. the indulging the excess of work, you're feeling it instinctively, but then not choosing to then play Adele music all night. <laughs> And, and then <laughs> and, and, and it, sometimes that's nice <laughs> i think i guess it's a suffering of the small self and there's a suffering of life which is which is art and which is beauty and which is you know and which is really really you know quite just quite uh quite tender and, and that's devotion you know and, and for me that's rawness and that's something which i wouldn't want to deny and there's a suffering of the small self which is sentimental mm. yeah which a lot of people which is suffering for sure it's suffering but it's unnecessary and doesn't lead anywhere but mm. the great i mean you know that that um that buddhist um little epithet where the 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 guy is hanging off the cliff you know and he's just about to and he uh, fall off the cliff it's crumbling and then he, he finds this wild mountain strawberry and he picks it off and he's eating it right but he's still falling off the there's no end to it there's no positive end he still falls off the <laughs> as, as he's eating this he knows he's clinging on he's eating the strawberry and that's life right and that's the beauty of life that, that, that it is you know that it is like that mm. yeah. I, I love another similar Buddhist uh, Buddhist little story which is uh, a Buddhist monk while this has been modernised is uh, when it's, he's about to fall out of a plane but he's forgot his parachute and so he's falling uh, but the idea being that He's going to be falling forever because there is no floor. There is no ground to fall onto. So to life is like being parachute less flying through the sky forever and eternity. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, it's mm. a free fall. It's a free fall, and and yeah, and but but I think within that you need a structure for at least for a while and a method in order to make the most out of that. Yeah, mm. you know, otherwise it's just a free fall, and that's can be unhelpful. On on a quick logistical note, so slightly changing direction, just about like your career. So at some point you realise actually I can make a career out of yoga. Like it wasn't the intention, but it happened, and you realise yeah. actually you're making money that put food on the table, etc. Yeah. And and now actually, you know, your offer with you and your wife is really, really comprehensive. You've got the private sessions, you've got the podcast, you've got your hosting online yeah. workshops. How how did this shift happen? What was your oh, what was man, your you know, that's just I think I, I said to someone the other day, like I failed at ninety five percent of things really in life. Um, you know, and this you know, and this just happens out of absolute luck. Um we happened, you know, we just started out a lockdown. Um my wife said, you've got to get on Zoom and teach Mysore, you know, because um, I had the group going already, you know, and I said, no way, that's impossible. How would I teach without, you know, being in the room and assisting, you know, and I'm not going to do that. And then you said, well, <laughs> but, you know, you, you listen to your wife and, uh, you know, and I, so the next day <laughs> after a little argument, you know, I went out and I came back and I said, you know, OK, let's do it. And she helped me, you know, when we set it up, you know, I'm, got on the Mysore and I started teaching the group and, you know, they came, you know, said everyone wanted it at the start of lockdown. If you remember that, this was a crazy period. Right. And, and uh, I really thought, you know, this is, this is it, you know, like what's happened, you know, and everyone, you know, we just wanted to be together. Right. And then, and we started like that. And then, um, then I had these contacts, like I was saying to you at the start, these different contacts of Ashtanga around the world. And I said, Oh, why don't we, you know, do the podcast? And then it led to the like, oh, why don't we stream an online workshop? You know, like people have always wanted to see so and so from Costa Rica and they can never make it there, right? And now they can, you know, well, you know, some of the teachers that are older, they're in their 70s, they don't travel. Now they can see them. So it was a complete, uh, it, it just flowed. And the same when I started teaching, I was living in a Buddhist center. I was the cook for a Buddhist center in the end. I stopped, you know, uh, commercial chefing, professional chefing, and I started, uh, cooking for, for retreat centers. And, uh, and I started practicing in the morning and, and, and then people said, what the hell are you doing getting up and going to that room? Uh, I said, well, I'm doing yoga and say, well, you know, can I join you? So I started teaching the other people that were also working at the Buddhist center. And then we started putting on a public class and it just flowed. And, and when things have worked, they just, I didn't, I almost feel I didn't take any part on it. And the online offering is the same. It's incredible the way that we've developed it. And I can say that completely unegoically because I feel like it, just happened you know mm. it, yeah just flowed it just flowed i guess it, yeah. it took someone to kind of take the initiative and put the work in that at that time at the start of lockdown you know, we could have gone in two directions it's a it was a scary time wasn't it and yeah it was a scary um and you've done a lot of work you've done a lot of work in, in building up what you've done and i suppose in the background i've done a lot of stuff that in in you know in building you know we did those years in purple valley which mm. you know was three years just just living in, in Goa, you know, hosting these different teachers, you know, not, we weren't getting paid for that. You know, I was early twenties when we, you know, you didn't need to make money as such, right. You're just traveling around a little bit, you know, so you put in the time in different ways. Right. And I was going to say the thing which helped me a lot is because I came back, we tried to do this. I failed at doing this retreat center in Crete. Right. And, and we, we tried to go over me and my wife and, and set up this place in Crete and it didn't really work out for a number of reasons. Um, it's a, a beautiful story or not a beautiful story, but a fun story we haven't got time for. But we came back and we had no money. We'd lost all our money on this venture. And this was a few years ago. And I'd lost most of my students because I'd been away for a number of months. Um, and those students had gone. And, uh, and also everything had become like social media. And I hadn't done any social media at all, right? Like at all. You know, I was an old school teacher. Um, so we had 
we were in debt. We hadn't even got a place to live. We haven't got a house, right? I hadn't got any students anymore. This was, <laughs> we really, excuse my French, fucked. And um, so you can edit that if you like. No. And so, you know, and then it's like, well, what do we do? You know, like, and so, you know, from that point on, I just started kind of thinking, well, you know, let's, let's, I don't care about my peers anymore because you weren't meant to post stuff on social media as an Ashtanga practitioner. You weren't meant to do, you know, pictures of yourself, you know, like there's a lot of stuff like around it. And it's sort of, look, let's just put it out there. Let's be a bit freer. Let's, let's try and make it more expansive than it's this hardcore system that you have to do in the exact way that you have to do it. Let's, I don't know. I just changed my teaching from that point on. I changed my attitude to social media as like the devil, you know, to something which actually could be helpful to people. Right. So so that was the background, I suppose, in starting this off in, in developing, you know, a kind of way of approaching the Internet and the dissemination of yoga in a more open and kind of wholehearted manner than I had done. And a lot of Ashtanga people had done, you know. As a final kind of more serious question, how did you then deal with any, I don't know, resentment or bitterness when it was apparent that you were slightly going away from tradition, when you started to put photos on social media? Did you get negative reaction to that? And how did you deal with that? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing is that things have changed, like even the Ashtanga community, right? Like it's not as cohesive as it was because of the Batabi Joyce um revelations more recently that you know um there's more of a divide in the community it's not you know as a as a watertight kind of community as it was so it's not as in or out as it used to be mm. um and uh, I, I haven't had i mean generally i just speaking i was i was i was scared of of putting it out there and, and generally speaking you know people have been i mean the people that are serious mice or people and they just go to mice and they just have sharat as a teacher and they won't look at anything else and the system has to be done as is. Well, they have their own, you know, they have their own kind of gang and their own thing going on, you know. But a lot of, I mean, I started the podcast to make it clear to people, really, if I'm, you know, blatantly honest, that the Ashtanga Yoga wasn't always exactly so dogmatic and so uh, linear as it now seems uh, can be taken that it was a system that was much more open that when the people went to Mysore first of all they were taught according to their type according to what they could do you know in, the postures were taken out if they couldn't do them and add, added on later if they could do them it was a lot more open it was a lot more what I say yogic you know like in terms of this is something that we're doing for not just to jump through hoops and accomplish something and get our certification but something that's you know that's for Chittavriti Narodaha for stilling the mind for concentration for something other than the postures right so yeah I don't know I think a lot of the older teachers and a lot of the people in Ashtanga are becoming more understanding of uh, a system that, that, that needs to be used for us rather than us used for it mm. uh, you know so, I like that I think yeah. you're you've, you're doing a good job at that and kind of opening the mm -hmm. gates and making people more yeah. aware. It's making it not sensible so people can say, well, I like a bit of it and I like the ideas of the counting and the vinyasa and the breath and the, you know, you know, because all of the yoga is only one thing, really. It's only trying to under make you understand your diaphragm. And when you understand the diaphragmatic breathing, which is breathing with the abdominal control that will manipulate your diaphragm as the, the structure of how you move, when you understand the diaphragm, then you understand yoga. Then you don't need Ashtanga yoga or rocket yoga just do your own thing. You're just doing yoga now, you know, mm. but it's understanding of the breathing and, and, and the counting, the vinyasa style, the counting can really help you understand the breathing, you know? 
Uh, I like it for that, you know. But other things can do that as well, not just Ashtanga. We'll yeah. get lighter now. Holly, what's that? Quick fire. Oh, okay. What's that? It's time already. <laughs> oh, no. We'll do some. Uh, sorry, I'm away with the fairies today. I've got a bit of a sore throat. Right. Um, okay, quick fire questions. If you could only do one posture for the rest of your life every day, which would it be? One posture. Just one. <laughs> Can I do sun saltation A? Can I do can I do all okay, the Okay, all right, I'll give you yeah. that. Yeah. That could yeah. yeah. on those bases. That's like good twelve. I'd be more than happy with Surinamaskar A. Yeah. If it was one posture, Paschimottanasana. Okay, cool. I love that one. Is there is there anything in your current life style you'd like to do more of? It could be an, what would you like to fit more of in? Oh, so many things. Uh, reading I don't read enough I've uh, you know like everyone I think you know you have to do stuff you know get stuff done and um, reading is a luxury and I always feel like it's it's not it shouldn't be a luxury you know that the the erudition uh, you know is important for everyone that doing whatever that reading is the thinking just thinking is really important but it's become a luxury and I ought to read more um, Mm. and I don't yeah I don't Mm. do that enough yeah and listen to more music probably I I probably don't listen to enough music Mm. I'd like to get back into listening to music again what are you most looking forward to when the world goes, I won't say back to normal, but comes out of lockdown? Ah, uh, you know, well, yeah, I don't, we, I, as I said, like we're, right now we, we're, we're in France and I'd like to go to a cafe and have an espresso or something. And, oh, you know, yeah. Yeah, just uh, have that cafe culture. A you know, that'd be nice. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Have a half a glass of wine or something. Yeah, mm. yeah. Which, which philosopher did you resonate most with or do you resonate most with now having practiced yoga for many years? So which non-yogic philosopher do you find most relevant? One that people might have read or heard of. Go go both. Go for for one that people won't have heard of then maybe one a little bit more. Read read a bit of Heidegger. Uh, He's my current love. I go through phases. I'm currently an existentialist um, and Heidegger is a real, uh, you know, he's getting, he got a bad rap for having, having been, I think hijacked by the, by Hitler, by the Nazis, but he's an incredible philosopher. Uh, Nietzsche, I also really love. Um, yeah. And then, so, and then, is there one more obscure that people won't have heard of? Wittgenstein, try him. Wittgenstein, very, very, Wittgenstein, very, very difficult, um, and I probably don't recommend. Or yeah, um, Nagarjuna, if you want some logic, I mean, so like a Buddhist philosopher, Nagarjuna of the Miyadaka. Uh, Madhyamaka, a middle path. He, he's a Tibetan logician. Uh, he's super interesting, but pr- pretty tough. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, yeah. But you know, on a very basic level, read a bit of Sartre, uh, Camus. Mm. You know, it's, the, the the stories are wonderful. Uh, and yeah, if you can get an introduction to Heidegger, I uh, currently very strongly recommend it. Yeah. Do you want to end on a less serious note, Holly? Well, last one. I was going to say, what, <laughs> what? We're trying to get less serious, but you can't really <laughs> do know. that. With I'm I sorry, know. I'm trying. I'm trying. Yeah. <laughs> Um, what about the what's the vision for the future? Do you have one, or is it just take it at one day at a time? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I think, I think if, you know, I, I think if you really try and do yoga, then you try not to plan for the future so much. You know, you're trying to be not to to you know you're trying to be as as a being, not trying to be something. Right? Yeah, yeah. So, so really, you know, but the vision for the future on a practical level, yeah. I mean, I'd love to expand our offering more with uh, you know continue doing what we're doing um in terms of the online workshops um and that that kind of thing expo- uh, make uh, and, uh, the vision for the future if i'm honest uh, the one thing i would like to do with my life is make philosophy 
that's that's seemingly complicated, more practical and more um more more so people will be interested in the stuff that people, you know, from from the ancient Greeks, from Aristotle and Plato onwards, you know, there's all this stuff is really opposite to modern life and it's just forgotten or neglected because people think it's hard and a lot of it can be seemingly obscure, but it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. And and so if I had a mantle now, I would love to bring that more to the common uh, common market, as it were, you know. That would be wonderful. I'd be well up for reading or listening to whatever you produce. You two there. need to have a little. Yeah, I think we 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 align on that. And it's <laughs> uh, but the key is with all that is finding someone who's a good educator that can make it accessible. And it seems like you have that skill to make it accessible. Have the both the knowledge and the ability to communicate. I'm it. practicing. I'm practicing. I've been known for for a, a lot of waffle. <laughs> I'm, practicing, I'm practicing and getting more more concise. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm starting to try and do some of those little recordings, but yeah. I think Instagram reels, philosophy, philosophy, Instagram reels are the way forward. Yeah, no, we have had that talk, me, me and Teresa, my wife, you know, what can you do on, a, what, how can you make a reel that's a philosophic one? Um, I haven't, I haven't answered that yet. You'll find it. I wait, I wait for you, Adam. Don't it off. <laughs> right. Lovely, lovely to speak to you. Thank right. you so much. You're welcome. Honestly, I'm balanced.